Grace, mercy, and peace be yours through the knowledge of God and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever seen the movie Despicable Me? It's an animated comedy that came out a couple years ago. And in the movie, the villain, Dr. Gru, is constantly trying to get approval from other people. He wants to be recognized or remembered as the world's greatest supervillain. So he decides to plan the heist of the century. He plans on stealing the moon. And during the movie, Gru has some flashbacks to his childhood, which help us understand some of his motivations. It flashes back to Gru as a little boy watching the first moon landing on TV. And as he's watching this, he tells his mom that someday he's going to go to the moon. But his mom doesn't exactly share in his excitement. She just kind of shrugs her shoulders and, and keeps on reading her newspaper. But Gru continues to share his ambition with his mother, hoping that someday or sometime she would show him just the slightest hint that she was proud of him. He draws a picture of himself landing on the moon, and, and he makes a model rocket out of dried macaroni noodles. But each time, he gets the same uninterested reaction from his mother. Until finally, one day, he comes running up to his mom and says, Look, Mom, I made a real rocket based on that macaroni prototype. He then presses a button and launches a full-size rocket in his backyard. But again, his mother very, barely notices and just kind of keeps on reading her newspaper. It's part of our human nature to seek approval from other people, isn't it? We seek recognition for our accomplishments or for our virtues. As kids, we sought approval from our parents or teachers, maybe coaches. And as we grow older, we still probably seek approval from our parents. And then maybe you add on to that list, we seek it from spouses or or employers. Why we might think it's nice to have approval from people in the world, we know that it's not nearly as important as having approval from God. After all, he's the one that created us. He's the one that we're going to stand before on Judgment Day. On our own, approval from God is impossible to come by. And this isn't because God is, is unloving or unjust like Gru's mother. The fault, it lies entirely with ourselves. It lies with our sins and our rebellion against him. Our gospel lesson for this morning advances 30 years from where our gospel lesson left us off last Sunday. The story picks up again in the ministry of John the Baptist. The prophet, who was foretold by Isaiah, was preparing the people for the coming Messiah. He was living out in the barren wilderness, the, the rolling badlands surrounding the Jordan River. And this was a place that was really unfit for anyone to live. It had excessively hot temperatures in the day, and, and the soil was just chalky and covered in rocks. But despite this, John was out there living off the land, and he was denying himself of all the, the finer luxuries of life. He enjoyed a diet consisting mostly of grasshoppers and wild honey and he wore a robe made of camel's fur. And while this might seem strange to us, it wasn't unusual for one of God's prophets in the Old Testament to dress or live this way. 
But in spite of John's rough appearance, he was gaining many followers. We are told that multitudes of people came to John to be baptized and to confess their sins. They made that trip out in the desert to confess their sins and be baptized by him in that river. And as they, they came out there, we are told that he was becoming so popular that many people even thought that he was the great Old Testament prophet, Elijah. Some even went so far as to think that he was the promised Messiah himself. But John wasn't there to draw attention to himself. He was there to prepare them for their coming Savior. He was there to point ahead to Christ. He tells the crowd, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John's power to baptize and to announce the forgiveness of sins, that didn't come from his own strength or his own power. It came from that powerful message he was preaching. It came from that message of the one coming. John wanted them to raise their expectations to a power and a strength far above his own. As John was out there teaching and preaching to the people, we are told that Jesus came from Nazareth. Jesus was likely living there, living the common, ordinary life. He was probably working in his earthly father's carpentry business. Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot between about Jesus' life between his birth and now. But on this day, when the time was right according to God's plan, Jesus came to John to be baptized. And the account of this story, this event in Matthew, tells us that at first, John strongly opposed to this idea. John knew who Jesus was. He was preaching it to the people. He had no sins. He was the perfect son of God. Why would Jesus have any need to be baptized? John might have even thought that Jesus was making him look a little foolish. Oh, come on, Jesus, I just talked you up. I just told these people that I wasn't worthy to untie your sandals. And now you want me to baptize you? This should be the other way around. I'm the sinner here. How can I baptize you just like I've done for all these other sinners? But this baptism was not like the other baptisms that John had officiated. This baptism was to be the inauguration of Jesus into his earthly ministry. And it was a fitting way for Jesus to begin his ministry by being baptized just as sinners are. The perfect Son of God chose to put himself by the side of all sinful mankind, the ones for whom this sacrament was ordained. This is exactly what he came to do as our mediator, he came to live among sinners. Though he himself had no sins, he came to identify himself with sinners. He came to give himself to the work of bearing our sins. And that this baptism was something different and special from all others, it's obvious from what happens next. We are told that the heavens opened up and that the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then we see that God himself, God the Father, spoke from heaven. He said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. With these words and actions, God has 
testifying to Jesus as his beloved son. He is showing that he approves of Jesus' work of redeeming us. He is pleased that Jesus willingly took this task upon himself. And because God spoke approvingly of Christ and his work, we know that his work of redeeming us is acceptable in his eyes. We know that the punishment that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, that that punishment was accepted by God. This event also shows us that Jesus wasn't alone in this mission. Not only does the Son love us enough to come to earth and to suffer and die for us, but we see that the Holy Spirit, he loves us too. And he got involved by coming down and strengthening Jesus for this difficult task. And we see that God is so well pleased with all of this. He is so well pleased that Jesus took this work upon himself, that he redeemed us, that he opened the heavens to proclaim it. The one true God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are now launching the great climax of his plan of salvation. The most momentous days the world has ever known, the three years of Jesus' ministry on this earth, that ministry that culminated in his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension, that ministry is about to begin. Satan's power and dominion are doomed. The world's redemption is at hand. John was obviously well known for his work of baptizing. We see that it became part of his title. But it's not as though John was out there performing some sort of drive-through baptism service. He was also a strong preacher of repentance. He was only baptizing the repentant sinners. A repentant heart hates sin, and it strives to be rid of it. Put yourselves in the shoes of a parent whose young child got into their medicine cabinet. And when he was in that cabinet, he swallowed some of their prescription pain medication, and so much of it that the overdose of the medicine was poisoning his body. Would you think to yourself, well, that's not good. I should probably get him to the hospital. I'll be sure and do that as soon as my show's over. And imagine that when you get to the hospital, the doctor tells you that your child's stomach needs to be pumped immediately. You need to get that poison out of his, out of his body. Would you tell the doctor, I don't know, that, that seems a little bit drastic. That sounds like it might be kind of uncomfortable for my child. How about you give me a couple days to think about it? No, you would get your child to the hospital immediately. Your number one priority would be getting that poison out of his body. Sin is poison to our spiritual lives. Sin needs to be removed from our lives. The repentant sinner doesn't put off removing sin until a more convenient time. The repentant heart sees sin's danger. It sees its ugliness, and it turns from it. It turns, and it goes the opposite direction. But repentance is more than just a turning from sin. It's also important what we're turning to. The repentant sinner turns to the forgiveness that is found in Christ's redeeming work. Jesus is the cure to sin's poison. We know that on our own we can't make up sins. We know that we can't possibly earn God's forgiveness. 
And we know Christians deserve eternal punishment in hell. And so it's on Jesus, that one who suffered hell for us. This is exactly what he came to earth to do. This is what his three-year ministry was all about. He came to show mercy to sinners. He came to show compassion to the, the adulterers, the cheating taxpayers, to the criminals. He came to show compassion to the poor, low sinners that no one else would. And we're in the same boat as these sinners. In fact, the Apostle Paul confessed the chief of sinners. Our sins condemn us just as they do the prostitute or the criminal. But at the end of Jesus' three-year ministry, we see that he showed us the ultimate compassion. He showed the greatest display of mercy the world has ever seen. He took the sins of the whole world to the cross, and he paid that punishment that they deserve there, so that those sins are no longer counted against us. Jesus wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and so in this way his baptism was much different than ours. But there are still some similarities. At our baptism, all that could physically be seen and heard was the water and the word. But by faith, we know that the Holy Trinity was present there as well. You were baptized into the name of the same triune God, that same God, triune God, who was there at Jesus' baptism. And he marked you as his own. And the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you that day, to strengthen and preserve you in the faith, to empower you to repent and to turn from sins. And when God brought you to be baptized, he said to you that day, You are my son. You are my daughter. In you, I am well pleased. And God isn't well pleased with you because of anything you have done. He is well pleased with you because of what Christ has done for you. Jesus presents you to God as one for whom he did all of his work, one for whom he died. Approval from the world can be hard to come by. Parents, teachers, employers, they can hold us to unreasonable expectations. And approval from the world can also be fickle. One day we can be on top of the world, receiving recognition and praise for a job well done. And then the next day it seems like we can't do anything right. Praise God that this is not the case with him. Because God spoke approvingly of Christ, we know that our redemption is sure. Our approval from God doesn't come from our doing. If this was the case, we could never be certain if we've done enough. But how comforting it is to know that it comes from our receiving. It comes from our receiving the forgiveness won by Christ and by the washing away of sins at baptism. Be assured you have God's full approval as his blood-bought child and heir of eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.